Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in several areas of Scripture tonight. Zechariah chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 63, Hosea chapter 5, Revelation chapter 8. You'll see those scriptures on the screen behind me. Once again, Zechariah 1, Isaiah 63, Hosea chapter 5, and Revelation chapter 8. Now, once again, you're going to need your thinking caps on. And if you feel that you're falling behind in your note-taking... Go ahead and go online after uh, tomorrow morning, and the notes will be posted uh, for you to be able to review your notes. And so uh, if you'd like to go ahead and do that, I I usually do that to the pastor that I listen to, and I listen to uh, Pastor Teach Me every single day of the week. Um, I figure if I'm teaching, I want to be learning as well, and so I have a pastor that I listen to. And I follow, take my own notes, and then I make sure that my notes are correct as compared to what I have learned from the Word of God. Um, tonight, I asked Pastor Zach if I could lead us in prayer. And so if you would join with me as on Thursday nights, we take a moment, uh, a few extra moments to go to God in prayer. We believe that this, is, should, this church should be called the House of Prayer. And as we are dependent on the Lord God for all things, Let us now go before our God, and let us go before him in humility. Let's pray. Our Father, the way that you have taught us how to pray, our Father, it makes us family because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You are our Father. And as the family, we come before you together. And we're all with the yes and amen because we believe in you. And we believe that you have the words of eternal life. And this church, Calvary Chapel, South Bay, we want to be known as the house of prayer. We want to see your miracles. And so we're asking for them. We want to see your healings, so we're asking for them. We want to see prayer answered, so we pray. For I've often wondered, how many things have we missed because we did not seek you? Truly the word, you have not because you ask not, could apply to the national church in the United States of America. And so, Lord, as a nation... We are in the middle of a throw. And so we come before you and ask that you would intervene and bring revival to the United States of America. We're asking that the power of your spirit would fall fresh on this nation. We're asking one last time before you return and take your church that your spirit would be so evident and so powerful that we here, even at Calvary Chapel South Bay, would see hundreds, thousands of people come to Christ. 
Lord, we pray for the city, the county of L.A. And we're asking, Lord, that you would give us this county. We're asking, Lord, that you would give us our neighbors. You would give us those that work with us. Lord, that we would shine as a light so brightly that they would know that we're different, that we're holy, and that they can come to us when life happens. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage and the ability to be able to represent you in this fallen world. And Lord, I pray that as we enter this season, Christmas and Thanksgiving, that as the way in a manger is playing in target, we would use it for your glory's sake. As we see, hear the first Noel sang, that Lord, we would proclaim the peace that you can give all people. But Father, I know that there are those here tonight that are hurting. And I know there are those here tonight that have needs. So if you're on my left and you have a special prayer request, would you just lift your hand as if you're surrendering it to God so that I can pray for you? And those hands that are lifted to my left, Lord, I pray for each and every person. And I ask you now, God, to meet their needs. And if you're on my right and you have a prayer request, would you raise your hand? So, Lord, I come before you as these hands are lifted high, surrendered to you. God, that you would hear them, you would speak to them, and you would love them and answer them. Father, we pray as a church that you would now give us spiritual eyes and ears to hear your word in Zechariah. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Zechariah chapter 1. Let's dig in. Zechariah has come to the nation of Israel as a word of encouragement. We know Haggai the prophet was the preacher And the exhorter, and Zechariah, comes in two months after Haggai's ministry as the encourager. He exhorts, encourages the nation to return to God, that if they return, that they would, that God would return to him, to them. And I would like for just a moment to show a slide to give us a little brief review as to where we are in the nation of Israel's history. The Assyrian Empire has taken the northern kingdom. The Babylonian Empire has taken the southern kingdom and taken them to 70 years of captivity, Jeremiah would tell us. Daniel would let us know that Israel would be dominated by the Gentile nations, of which Jesus would call this period of time the age of the Gentiles. It would only be over 70 years of a Babylonian empire that the Persians would invade Babylon just as Daniel prophesied and in one night they would overcome the Babylonian empire and they would become the new ruling empire. It is during that Persian empire that Cyrus, who was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah over a hundred years prior to his birth, would make the announcement for the Jews to return and begin building their temple. That would be the first wave of exiles returning. Zerubbabel would lead that group, and there would be a young man by the name of Zechariah, who had no idea that he would be a prophet of God, would return with the Jewish Jewish exiles 
from Babylon, crossing over the Fertile Crescent down into Israel, and there they would start building the temple. They would lay the foundation within the first two years that they were there, but having received attack from the enemy, they would stop building for 16 years, by which Haggai would come on the scene, and he would preach a message to them, one of exhortation, it is time for you to start building the temple just like God told you to do. But as God is so graceful, he also sent the young man Zechariah not to preach the message with exhortation, but to encourage them with eight visions from the Lord. We're going to get through the first three tonight. But before we do, there's several things that you need to know about visions from the Lord. The first and foremost, the visions are from the Lord. And the reason God sends a vision vision is for his purposes, and his word will not return void. Now, our visions are going to follow these eight visions, a similar format. There will be a revelation given, there will be a question about the vision from the prophet, and then there will be an explanation from the angel. So if you can see that very first concept, there will be a vision is a word from the Lord. He has a purpose for which it is sent. It is What you need to understand is that God is still giving visions. He poured out his spirit, and visions and dreams are still a part of God's plan. Now, if you have a vision, you know you're a young man. If you're having dreams, well, you've crossed over into being a seasoned saint. Just read Acts chapter 2, you'll understand. Number two. We're going to compare spiritual things to spiritual things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, the Bible says, compare spiritual things with spiritual things. In other words, the Bible is its own best commentary. If you don't understand if it's figurative or literal, the Bible will help you understand if it's figurative or literal. We're going to compare the spiritual things to the spiritual. Thirdly, The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Now, that comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 32. When God is regulating the church, he communicates and says, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. In other words, God speaks through the prophets. It's the way that he is glorified. And Zechariah is going to be spoken to, much like Haggai was spoken to. And Zechariah is not going to contradict Daniel or Jeremiah or Amos. He is going to add to Daniel. He's going to add to Isaiah. He's going to add to Jeremiah. The prophets, they did not see the whole picture. If you are to go out and look at Saddleback Mountain and see all the mountains in that range, you will just see the various peaks and how they come up and how they go down. You will not see all of the nooks, crannies, and valleys that lead to that peak. Well, the prophets are like standing from a distance looking at the mountain range, and all they can see are the mountain peaks. And God gave them different mountain peaks to see. So what God does so that he's glorified over the period of hundreds of years is give different prophets different pieces, and we get to put those pieces together because the prophets are subject to the prophets. Number four, 
You need to understand that God has a forever plan for the nation of Israel. A forever plan. The church does not replace the nation of Israel. There is an Abrahamic covenant where God said that he will bless all nations. The Messiah was going to come through the Jewish nation. So they had to preserve and they will preserve because God has a forever promise given to the nation of Israel. They're the apple of his eye. They are the chosen nation. And so I want you to understand that God has a plan for the nation of Israel. He's a Davidic covenant with them. He gave a promise to David that someone would sit on David's throne forever. And we know that person to be Jesus Christ. And that promise is yet to be fulfilled when Jesus will sit on the throne of God for eternity. Now, because God has a plan for the nation of Israel, we can look through Israel's eyes as a prophetic time clock for the rest of the world. We can watch Israel and see what's happening and know where we are at. For example, we know that we're in the last days because the Bible makes it very clear that in the last days that Israel will reform as a nation. Guess what? Israel reformed as a nation. Hello, last days, here we are, okay? Number five, these eight visions that are given to Zechariah are given in one night, okay? That's a rough night as far as I'm concerned. One vision is enough to make Daniel not eat for weeks. I can't imagine, and I can only understand why he gave it to a young man. Daniel was old when he received his visions. And what these visions in one night, they reveal the successive nature of these visions and that God wanted to quickly encourage the children of Israel to be busy about what he's asked him to do. Number six. These visions are given after Haggai preaches his message. Uh, If you're in Zechariah, go with me to Haggai, just a page over. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. These visions are given after Haggai preaches. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Once more, it's a little while. Now, personally, we have a problem with it's a little while with God because one day is a thousand days, a thousand years, right? Not a thousand days, a thousand years. So his time is not our time. Amen? Like, how many of us have been praying for that spouse? Okay, God, it's like time, all right? I hope it's not a thousand years. All right, here we go. I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations, speaking of Jesus, and I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver's mine, the gold is mine. In other words, don't worry about money, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Well, Haggai preaches this first message. Don't worry, in a little while, I'm going to shake the world. Well, nothing's happened. The children of Israel, they're getting discouraged. And so Zechariah's got to come in on the scene to encourage them with these eight visions, and he's going to give the timeline of how the Lord is going to fulfill what Haggai communicated. Number seven, these visions are meant to encourage and exhort the nation of Israel, and they're applicable to encourage and exhort the church today. So don't walk into these visions like, oh, great, we're going to learn about Israel. Oh, great, we're going to learn about Israel. Because I need to tell you a little promise about Israel. Those who bless it will be blessed. 
those who curse it will be Okay. So I always tell people when they go to Israel, bring a lot of money. Spend all your money in Israel. God will give you some back, okay? He blesses those who bless you, and he curses those who curse. And so we understand that prophecy is given for encouragement. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Take a listen. But he who prophesies, speaking of the gift, speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Well, Paul was able to pick that up because he studied the book of Zechariah and he sees how God is going to comfort the nation of Israel. But these same comforting words to Israel will be a comfort to us. The eighth thing that I want you to know is that all of these prophecies speak of Jesus. In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was opening the eyes of the disciples, the Bible says in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, you can look it up later, that he explained himself through the law, through the Psalms, and through the prophets. And so with every one of these prophetic visions, we will find Jesus. Now tonight, we're only going to study the first three visions, I hope. Okay, so I pray, in, um, the intro took about 17 minutes, we'll see how long the first vision takes. All right, so we're going to dig into the first three visions because all three of these visions are connected one to another. So let's go ahead and dig on in. Zechariah chapter 1, we're going to pick it up there in verse 7. Remember what Zechariah has already spoken to them. Return to me and I will, say it with me, return to you. Keep that in your mind as we read this first vision. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month Shabbat. Now, this was a a memorable night for Zechariah with eight visions coming. I'm not surprised he was so specific. In the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet. Now, if you remember, Zechariah will give these visions of encouragement two months into the ministry of Haggai. I saw by night, and behold... A man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses, a red horse, sorrel, and white. I added the horse just so that you can understand. Verse 9, then I said, my Lord, what are these? So we have the revelation, now we have the question from the prophet. So the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. And The man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro throughout the earth, and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. So let's talk about the characters in this vision for just a moment. The young man that they're speaking to is the man Zechariah. He is the one receiving the revelation and the one asking the question as to what it means. The man that is riding or standing next to the red horse in the myrtles, we're going to get to know him as the angel of the Lord. Now, this capital A, angel of the Lord, we've met him before in the Old Testament. This angel of the Lord defined, if you would, in Zechariah chapter 3, flip over a page. Zechariah chapter 3, we'll meet him again, verse 6. 
Then the angels, so we're comparing spiritual things to spiritual. The prophets are subject to the prophets. Keep that in mind. Verse 6 of chapter 3. The angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways. Note that the angel of the Lord uses the pronoun my. The angel of the Lord is the Lord. And so we are referring to the Lord Jesus Christ when we are saying the angel of the Lord. Now, the way that I look at these pre-incarnate, and that's a big theological word for Jesus showed up in the Old Testament, okay? The way that we look at these pre the way I look at these pre-incarnate uh, 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 visuals of Jesus in the Old Testament is Jesus loved humanity so much he couldn't wait for the incarnation. He had to show up several times in the Old Testament. He showed up to Abraham. He now he's showing up to Zechariah. He just wanted to be with humanity. That's our Lord. Remember when he showed up to Joshua? And in Joshua chapter 5, he's about to give the message to Joshua of how to defeat Jericho. And Joshua goes, are you for me or against me? Um, anytime anyone saw the angel of the Lord, they would usually drop on their knees. Not our Joshua, not our mighty warrior. So then the angel of the Lord responds, I am the angel of the Lord, the host. I'm the captain of the host of the armies of heaven. And what did Joshua do? <gasps> Sorry! <laughs> you know, dropped on, down on his ground. So in other words, Joshua couldn't tell. He wasn't this shining Shekinah glory from heaven. He probably looked like a man that was just out in the field and was coming to give advice to Joshua. And so we have to understand that here he's coming in a visual for Zechariah to receive him. Now we also know there's an interpreting angel. And so God has an angel that's there to help Zechariah understand. Now, this should not be so hard for us to grasp. Let's imagine me, <laughs> sorry, to be the church's angel because the word means messenger. So I pray, I seek the Lord, I study scripture, and then I give God. I pray God's message to his church. I help you understand the word of God. That's what this angel is doing here. The other characters we see are these three apocalyptic writers. Now, these writers are in the myrtle trees. Uh, if you'll take a look, I'm going to show you a picture of a myrtle tree in the Kidron Valley. Um, so take a look at this. These are that little green bush all around those... Uh, 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 on that hillside there, that's a myrtle tree. Note, they're not exactly majestic. They don't look like the cedars of Lebanon or the redwoods of California. It's just like a stick with green around it, okay? That is a myrtle tree, and Israel is the symbol of the myrtle tree because Israel's been humbled. They've been in captivity for 70 years, they are coming out of captivity, going back to Israel where the temple is broken down, the wall is broken down, there are trees growing in their houses, and there are foxes running around the city. So they are coming back in humility. They are not the mighty towering trees of Lebanon. No, they're the myrtle trees that are still found in the hollow. Now, this word hollow, it's a valley. And I believe, sanctified guest, 
guess that Zechariah is in the Kidron Valley, which is the valley that is just under Jerusalem. So you have Jerusalem here, and you have the Kidron Valley right here, and those myrtle trees grow right in that valley. And so I believe that he's right there in the midst of home, in the humble place that Israel is in, in the midst of those myrtles. Now what I love about the angel of the Lord, would you take a look back on... uh, um, verse uh, 8, I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a ride horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees. Let me tell you why. God always finds himself with the humble. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, he says, I dwell in a high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. James says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in due season. God always finds himself in the midst of the humble. They've been scattered throughout the whole world. For, I mean, they've been scattered in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years. But God has brought them back and the angel of the Lord is there in the midst of them because God has a plan for the nation of Israel. Listen to the plan that he gave Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11. For I'm with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I've scattered you, um, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. The angel of the Lord has led them over to Babylon where they've been in captivity. They've been humbled. Now they've returned this first wave back to Israel. But Isaiah told them, fear not. I'm with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Now that's a plaque verse. It's Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Now let's talk about these horses. There's a red horse, a sorrel horse, uh, and a white horse. Now these horses, they represent God's movement on earth, but they also are introducing us to these three visions. You see, this red horse is the victorious horse of Jesus. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 63? Isaiah chapter 63, this scripture is referring to the second coming of Christ. And maybe you want to write in your Bible. Now, if it's one of our Bibles, pray about that. Isaiah chapter 63, speaking of the second coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Who is this who comes from Edom? with dyed garments from Basra. Now remember, Edom did not like Israel, and Edom did not do good to Israel. Basra was their capital city. This one who is glorious in his peril, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I who speak in righteousness mighty to save, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? His response, I've trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I've stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, well, vengeance belongs to the Lord, and the year of my redeemed has come. 
I looked out, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury it sustained me. I've trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He came first as a baby. He's coming second as a conquering king. And so Jesus is riding on this red horse because he's coming from the enemies of Israel and he tramples them down. This is not the red horse of Revelation. That horse is used to bring destruction. This horse is used to bring redemption. Then there's a sorrel horse. Now, a sorrel horse is a speckled horse. It's two colors. It's dotted with two colors. And this is a two-part message of the second vision. And we're going to understand that in just a moment. But also, the first vision has a two-part message. And the first vision will introduce us to the second vision. And the first vision will also introduce us to the third vision, because the first Three visions are connected. Now, there's also something you need to know about Jesus Christ. He's the Word of God. Is that not correct? And what does the Bible say about the Word of God? It's a double-edged sword. It's sorrel. It's got two sides. Now, understand, with the justice of God, it's always coupled with His mercy. With the grace of God, it's always coupled with his truth. With the judgment of God, it's always coupled with his love. You see, there is always two sides to Jesus Christ. He's a double-edged sword. Then there's the white horse. We see this white horse again in Revelation chapter 19. We will also see this understanding of the white horse in the third vision. This white horse is holding the Lord Jesus Christ coming with his saints to victoriously rule and reign for a thousand years. This represents his final victory. This is where faith will become sight. We will no longer live by faith in regards to not sight. We will see faith. We will understand. We will know as we are known when we look at the Lord Jesus Christ coming on that white horse. Amen? Amen. Now, the most disappointing thing about coming back on the white horse with the Lord Jesus Christ is that we don't get to fight. He says a word, it's over. Like, we just get to watch the whole scene. I was actually hoping for a little, like, Lord of the Rings kind of action with an orc or something, but that's all on Jesus. Amen? Amen. They come back from wandering the earth. Zechariah chapter 1, if you go there with me again. They come back from wandering the earth, and they give a report back. And they give the report back that the world is at peace. The world is at peace. Not the nation of Israel. The world is at peace. We have to remember, God's dealing with the nations is through the filter of their relation to the nation of Israel. God's going to reveal his prophetic plan for the world through the nation of Israel. And what he's saying here is that the world is at peace. But Israel, he wants them to know, I understand, you're in the pitiful state 
of returning in such humility. And while the world is at peace, you, I know, are trodden down. But I have put the world at peace. The Persian Empire has taken over. They have brought peace to the world. There is no more world war going on. And because I have brought peace to the world, I want to encourage you, it's time now, get back to building the temple. In this place of peace, I want you, that I have put the world at a place of peace, that you get busy about serving me and doing what I've called you to do. We're studying the book of Mark. The one word in the book of Mark that I will accentuate over and over and over and over again is that when Jesus called someone into ministry, they did it immediately. There is no time like the present to be obedient to what God has called you to do. And God is encouraging the nation of Israel and letting them know, I've put the world at peace. Get busy about doing what I've asked you to do and rebuild the temple. Now let's pick it up in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 12. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord, still in this first vision, answered and said, O Lord of hosts, How long will you not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which you were angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered the angel who talked to me with good and comforting words. If you would, stop there for a moment. We've already described the angel of the Lord as the pre-incarnate Christ. And here he is doing what he does best, interceding on behalf of the saints. Romans chapter 8, the Bible tells us that Jesus is interceding for us. I'll never forget my daughter. She was five years old, and she prayed. This was the prayer. Dear Jesus, would you please save Satan? Actually, let me put it in her accent, because we were living in the Bahamas at the time, and this is what she sounded like. Dear Jesus, would you save Satan? Please. Amen. You know what I said to her when she finished praying that? How dare you pray for Satan? That evil beast. I can't believe that you would pray for him. No, I didn't say that. Some of you are like, I can't believe you said that to your five-year-old daughter. No, I did not say that, okay? What What I thought to myself was Jesus and how he was taking that prayer and interceding on Elia's behalf to God the Father. God, what she means is she's fed up with evil. So would you bring evil to an end? Do you know that I dated a girl prior to Andrea that I thought I was going to marry? And I told God, thank you, Jesus, for bringing this woman into my life. Hallelujah. I finally have a woman that I'm going to marry. This is what Jesus did to God. God, he has no idea that Andrea is coming. What he's praying for is Andrea. He thinks he's praying for this other girl, but he's actually praying for Andrea. So we're going to convert all those prayers to Andrea. Amen? 
thank God, Jesus intercedes for us and he cries out, how long? Listen to the heart of Jesus. How long, O Lord? When are you going to let me go and redeem? Do you remember when he was walking into Jerusalem? Listen to his prayer for the very people that were going to crucify him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather you like a mother hen does her chicks, but you would not listen. These people are about to crucify him. This is the heart of Jesus. So if you think he's mad at you, he died for you. Understand, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Jews have been under 70 years of captivity. And here they are returning back to do what God has asked them to do. And the enemy has been against them for 16 years, not allowing them to build the temple. And Haggai comes on the scene and says, build the temple. Zechariah now comes and says, listen, God is interceding for you. Be encouraged. Get busy about what he's asked you to do. He's brought peace on the earth. You need to do what God is asking you to do. Verse 14, he says, So the angel who spoke with me said to me, Proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. And what we're about to hear are the good and comforting words that God the Father spoke concerning the nation of Israel. These are the good and comforting words. I'm zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. Remember what he had said to Jerusalem. Return to me and I will. Do you know what return to me indicates? They had strayed from him. And what he's communicating here is, I'm zealous for Israel. I'm zealous for them. With great zeal, I want them to return to me. And he says, take a look at verse 14 again. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, proclaim saying. Now, I need to highlight something here for just a moment so you can understand the Hebrew. So the angel who spoke with me said, this word too is actually in me. He spoke in me. How many of you have been walking down the street and something says to you, stop, tell this person about me? Ever had that happen to you? How many of you have been driving down the street and all of a sudden you start thinking of someone and you start praying for them? That ever happened to any, any of you? The Spirit speaks into you. We have a communication with God because His Spirit is in us. So when he starts ministering to you, don't be like Samuel. Samuel Randy Eli. Eli goes, nope, wasn't me. Samuel Randy Eli. Finally, on the fourth, on the third time, he says, it must be God. Now let me tell you about Samuel. Samuel was busy about the work of the Lord, but he didn't know the voice of the Lord. Don't get so busy about the work that you don't allow the Spirit to speak into your life. And God says to Zechariah, I'm jealous. I, not of the nation of Israel, I'm zealous for the nation of Israel. 
The nation of Israel, we're going to learn in just a moment, is the apple of God's eye. God has a forever plan for the nation of Israel. Remember, Haggai had gone to them and said to them, listen, you're not doing what God told you to do. Get busy about building the temple. They had strayed from their purpose. And God is saying, let me tell you my heart for you. I'm jealous for you. I want you to do what I'm telling you to do because doing this is the best thing for you. I have, speaking of God, your and my best interest at heart, even when you don't think so. Even when you got a bad day and you go, God, why? Even when you have that relational issue, even when you've lost your job and you're wondering to yourself, what in the world is going on? God has a plan for your life. He has a good, pleasing, perfect plan for your life. And though you don't understand, know that you are the apple of his eye. He is jealous for you to go his way. And that's what he's trying to commute as a measure of encouragement. Haggai gave it to him, gave it to them, and Zechariah is communicating the heart of God. Let me tell you why I want you to start rebuilding this temple. You're part of a forever plan, and I want you to do this because this is the best thing for you. He said... I'm zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. Now take a look what he says in verse 15. I'm exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry, and they helped, but with evil intent. Verse 15 is referring to the times of the Gentiles. You see, this started when Nebuchadnezzar carried off the children of Israel for 70 years into captivity. And God was using Nebuchadnezzar to discipline the children of Israel. But in Jeremiah chapter 12, he told them, don't destroy them. Jeremiah chapter 5, you can read Jeremiah chapter 5, Jeremiah chapter 12. God was very clear, I'm using you to discipline them, but Nebuchadnezzar wanted them destroyed. So he's about to burn Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. So, and then remember when uh, Esther had to go in front of the Persian king because the Persians were going to destroy all of the Jewish nation. And God did not want that for the Jewish nation. They went too far. And what this speaks into is the fact that the nations wanted to destroy Israel. And let me tell you why. Satan hates the nation of Israel. And he will use the nations to try and destroy that nation. Even in our own modern times, in World War II, we see the enemy using a world leader to try to bring an end to the nation. But God said that Israel will last forever. Israel will last forever. But the nations rebelled against God. They rebelled against what God had intended for them to do. In fact, Isaiah chapter 47, verse 6, the Bible says, I was angry with my people. I have profaned my inheritance and given them into your hand. But you showed them no mercy. 
On the elderly, you laid your yoke very heavily. And God is rebuking the nations and saying, you went too far. So God is going to judge these nations. And we're going to see that judgment in the second vision. He says in verse 16, Therefore, thus says the Lord, I'm returning to, uh, I'm returning to Israel with mercy. He describes what the mercy will be. In other words, Israel has repented, and now he is going to start. The Bible says, return to me, I'll return to you. And so now he's going to show what his mercy will be for them. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts. Let me tell you what God is saying. I know you messed up, but I'm still going to put my temple in Jerusalem. I know you profaned it. I know you made mistake after mistake after mistake. But I am going to show you mercy because you've returned to me. You don't deserve it. Mercy is I don't deserve it. But God does it anyway. I have a question. How many of you have made mistakes since you've been a Christian? You've sinned? Okay, I want everyone to raise their hand. I don't care how tired you are. Quickly before lightning comes. Okay. But do you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? And when you are faithless, he will be faithful because he will not deny himself. I'm going to build my temple. That's what he says. You can be confident of this, that he who began a work will complete it. You can be confident of it. His mercy, look what else he says. And a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. In other words, I'm going to rebuild the entire city. I know what it looks like now. I know foxes and jackals are running all through it. But I'm going to use you and start with you to rebuild the city. You don't deserve it. But because you've repented and you've returned to me, I'm going to do what I've called, what I've called to do. Now turn with me to Hosea chapter 5. You'll see this. Hosea chapter 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Hosea chapter 5, we'll pick it up in verse 15. I will return again to my place, Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, till they acknowledge their offense. Then they will seek my face, in their affliction they will earnestly seek me. Chapter 6, come, let us return to the Lord, the nation says, for he is torn, but he will heal us. He is stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Let us know. Let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the latter and former rain to the earth. He will come first and he will come second, but his goal will be to have mercy on us and rebuild Jerusalem. You see, the Lord will truly comfort Zion. The Lord will truly restore Zion. You'll see it on the screen. It's Isaiah chapter 51, verse 3. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. For he will make, a, he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving in the voice of melody. Just go with it to Israel with us in 2024. You will see more development happening in Israel than anywhere in the world. God is rebuilding the nation of Israel, just like he said that he would. 
just like he said that he would. These are the signs of mercy, and we're witnessing happening. This is happening today. Now, how does this encourage you? You see, we're the church, and Zechariah is hearing good and comforting words from the Lord. Let me tell you something about the Word of God. All of his promises are yes and amen. When I'm having a bad day, send me a Bible verse. I don't care about your opinion. I don't care about how you feel about me. I don't care about a Hallmark card that has great words. Send me a verse from Scripture because as a believer, they're good and comforting. It's the Word of God that will inspire and motivate a believer, and that's exactly what Zechariah is hearing. The children of Israel, the nation is discouraged. They see all the nations around them just flourishing, and here they are, 16 years into laying a foundation, and it's not gone any further than this. And God shows up with His Word, and He encourages them. Let's go on to the second vision. Remember, I said that the first will help us understand the second. And now we're going to see how God was angry with the nations. In verse 15 of chapter 1, the Bible says, I'm exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry, and they helped. In other words, they were a part of my discipline, but with evil intent. They wanted to destroy you, but that was not my intent. That was their intent. And because I've given them a free will, and they went beyond what I expressed for them to do, they're going to be punished in their free will. Do you know you can't force anyone to get to heaven? We can offer, we can offer, we can offer, we can offer. But I can't force anyone into heaven. You can't pray them into heaven. There is no such thing as purgatory. Well, actually, there could be. I tell my wife all of the time, you have suffered purgatory being married to me. Trust me, you're going straight to heaven. She's right here. She's smiling. There's been no purgatory, right? (laughs) I'm glad that none of you saw her face because no one's sitting in front of her. We're going to see how God will now discipline these nations. And let me tell you why. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Now, I know some of you like to do vengeance is mine, saith the Lord's servant. Because you think you know what's in someone's heart. But you don't. Only God knows who deserves punishment. And so when God judges these nations, he's right. He's right. When he comes back and his horse is so red with blood, he's right. Because he is the judge of the nations. Vengeance belongs to him. And so he was angry with these nations for a reason. And in Zechariah chapter we see, uh, two, 1 verse 18, we begin to see, Then I raised my eyes and looked. In other words, I'm still in the vision. And there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? So he answered me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? So he said, these are the horns, so the horns are the craftsmen, that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. So the craftsmen were there so that the horns couldn't go beyond what God planned. 
But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. We have to understand, the Bible will explain itself, horns are a representation of governmental power. Micah chapter 4, verse 13, Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze. In fact, in Revelation chapter 17, verse 12, speaking of the nations that are ruling during the seven-year tribulation, the Bible says the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. Horns are national leaders that represent the nation. So what I would like you to do is think of a rhinoceros right now. Okay, everyone got a white rhinoceros in their mind? Okay, let's do this. Don't think of a white rhinoceros, okay? Usually we work best in rebellion than we do in acceptance. All right, don't think of one, all right? Now, just imagine that horn. What does that horn represent? Do you want to be in that front of that horn when it's running after you? N-O. Why? It hurts. Have you ever watched in Spain when they, uh, the, the running of the bull? To me, that blows my mind. You see an animal with horns running after you, and you think you can run faster than this animal down an alley. It blows my mind that people do this. I saw one of them. The guy got horned. He got speared straight through his thigh. You know what I thought to myself? Fleshly thought. Forgive me. Fleshly thought was, you deserve this. I had no mercy for the guy. You see a horn running after you. You chose to be there. Like you thought, oh, I can outrun the big cow. No, you can't. Good glory. There are four horns. Remember, there were four horses. Biblically, there are four corners of the earth. In other words, Israel will be dominated by the Gentile nations from all around. Israel's going to be dominated by the Gentile nation. Daniel told us this. That, hey guys, listen, you're in Babylon. i got to let you know something. There will no longer be a Davidic king coming around until Jesus' time. So you need to know this is the time of the Gentiles. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 24. This is the time of the Gentiles. And there are four horns. Now understand what the four horns are. From the time of the Babylonian captivity, there have been four world empires. The Babylonians, and then after the Babylonians came the Persians, after the Persians became the Greeks, and after the Greeks came the Romans, all right? These are the four world empires. These are the horns, but they're also the craftsmen. Now, let me explain what that means. What I want you to think of a craftsman is a carpenter. He's got a saw, walks up to the rhino, and cuts the horn off. Now, he has tranquilized him, I promise, okay? This is, don't try this at home. So he has got a saw in his hand, he's grabbed the horn, and he's sawn it off. The horns are the craftsmen. Let me explain. God is sovereign, and he was not going to allow Nebuchadnezzar to be the idol of gold that he thought he would be. Do you remember? He has a dream. Gold head, silver, bronze, bronze and clay. Do you remember? So what did, when Daniel interpreted it, Nebuchadnezzar went, excuse you? 
<laughs> I don't believe in your little idol, Daniel. I'm going to be king forever. So I'm going to make a completely gold idol for all of you to worship to prove that I'm right and you're wrong. Sorry, Nebi, you only lasted 70 years. Because once Cyrus came in, he destroyed you. So the horn became the craftsman. So the Persians defeated the Babylonians. The Greeks defeated the Persians. And the Romans defeated the Greeks. Thank you. The Romans defeated the Greeks. So the horns were removed by the craftsmen because God was not going to allow Nebuchadnezzar to believe anything other than I'm in control. You are not in control. And he wasn't going to let the Persian Empire think that they're in control, nor was he going to allow them to destroy the nation of Israel like they wanted to do in the times of Esther. So God brought them to an end. And can I let you know, there will be a fifth kingdom. Rome will resurrect. We are not waiting for Rome to resurrect. We are simply waiting for Rome to come together. When you look at the visual of the idol in Daniel chapter 2, it is fluid. Each part is connected to the other. When Rome broke apart, we had the kingdom of England, the kingdom of Spain, the kingdom of Portugal, the kingdom of all of the European nations. They already exist. All they have to do now is come together. Hello, the European Union. Is anyone surprised? God said it would happen. And so we are not waiting for these 10 kings to all of a sudden come on the beam. We now know who they are. They are in being. We're simply waiting for them to come together. So God is letting them know, I'm in complete control of world history. I'm not going to allow these nations that want to destroy you to uh, destroy you. I'm going to destroy them because I'm in control and I've got all power. All power. These nations that afflicted Israel would be broken and dissipated. Can I remind you? Where is the, where is the Assyrian Empire? Gone. Where's the Babylonian Empire? Gone. Where's the Persian Empire? We don't even call them Persian anymore. We call them Iran. Gone. Where's the Roman Empire? Gone. What did God say? If you curse Israel, I will curse you. If you bless it, I will bless you. Now, where is the nation of Israel? Though they were dissipated after the Roman Empire and spread throughout all the four corners of the earth, they are the only nation in the history of the world that though they lost their land and their peoples, they're the only nation in the world that reformed 1,600 years later. Let me tell you why. Because God said they would. And in May of 1948, Israel was reformed and uh, reformed as a nation and gathered in unbelief. We are living in the last days because God said that the nation would reform. Now, let me tell you, the bush may burn. Do you remember the burning bush? The nation of Israel, the bush may burn, but it will never be consumed. It will never be consumed because God has forever promises for the nation of Israel. Now let's take a look. Zechariah chapter 2, 
verse 1, this third vision, where he now explains to us the comfortable words to the nation. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. So I said, where are you going? So we have the revelation, and we have the question. He said to me, to measure Jerusalem to see what its height with, to see what its width and what its length. And there was an angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, run, speak to the young man. So speak to Zechariah, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls. In other words, it's going to explode out of the walls. Just go to Jerusalem today. You can see it. Because of the multitude of men and livestock in it, for I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Now, we won't have time tonight to get into the third vision, but let me just express some bottom line truths of this third vision. God says, I'm sending a contractor, a surveyor, into into Jerusalem. And he, Zechariah, looks and goes, what's going on? And then he sees another angel going in to measure Jerusalem. We've got some heavenly activity going on in Jerusalem. Though you can't see angels in the spiritual world, know there is heavenly things going on in the nation of, of Israel. That's why we want to be a part of what God is doing in the nation of Israel. And then he says this, run, speak to the young man. Let me tell you why. And here's where I close. Do you know that discouragement doesn't need a reason? How many of you just woken up in the morning and it's like, I feel horrible. And like you want to run to the mall and buy some clothes or something. You know, it's like, or give me some ice cream for breakfast. Like, has anyone had that experience? Anyone have, it's like, you just wake up, <laughs> you just wake up and you're like, man, I'm a loser. You guys are laughing because you've had the experience, right? Like, your hair don't work, your body don't work, like, you step, it's like, I'm 50 now, so, like, when I get out of bed, like, it takes a little while now, it's like, it's like, whoa, that hurt, you know, and now, like, my arm is falling asleep, one night I fell asleep, and I fell asleep like this, and it was, and I woke up, and I woke up, Andrea, ah, Andrea, my arm is gone. And she's like, where'd it go? Where'd it go? Like, we're both dead sleep. And then all of a sudden it went, whomp, ah! <laughs> Literally, we were in this, like, nightmare vision for a moment. How many of you have ever just woke up depressed? Right? Like, your kids don't work, your car don't work, your life don't work, your husband don't work. Right? And God says to the angel, Run to Zechariah. Because let me tell you something about our God. When discouragement comes our way, he sends all of heaven's forces to encourage us. They run to us, whispering in our ear to remind us, I know how you feel, but live by faith. Amen? Man, I thought I would get through the third vision, but uh, and you don't know how many notes I skipped to get to where we got. Lord, I pray that you would grant to us the understanding that in the midst of our discouragement, you're an encouraging God. 
You send heaven's forces. Though we may even trip against us, hit our toe on a stone, your angels just grab us and pick us up so we don't fall. And I personally want to thank you for your Holy Spirit. He always leads with peace. And I pray for anyone who's discouraged right now, and if that's you, just raise your hand. I just pray for any hand that's raised, Lord. Would you send heaven's forces that even with this message, you want to encourage them. Thank you for their lives. Thank you that they're here. Bless them with encouragement tonight. Run swiftly and minister to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.